Hey everyone, it's the mini season of Get Cynical, continuing our journey through the story of one John Green and his many works. And today we are talking about his less successful follow-up to Asphalt in Our Stars, Paper Towns. Esther, you were like a hundred years old when this movie came out. Uh, do you have any memories of it? God, no. I mean, so the movie came out um, a year after The Fault in Our Stars, I think. But the book, Paper Towns, was a was earlier than The Fault in Our Stars mm. book. I think by like mm-hmm. by four years, it was one of his. Or one of, well, it, he had Looking for Alaska and Abundance of Catherines, I think, beforehand. So it's kind of in the yeah. middle, I guess. But it was. Yeah. Before Fault in Our Stars, but no, I mean, in two thousand eight, it's actually funny because we thought I think I thought about like in Fault in Our Stars, I was way too old for this stuff. But um, in two thousand eight, I was a freshman in high school, so this was like exactly the time, you know, to be reading yeah. John Green books. But I kind of still have no memory of um people, like maybe some of like the kind of. The kind of girl in my high school who would be into John Green, I think I can kind of remember seeing, like, uh, more looking for Alaska and Abundance of Catherines, honestly. I, I think I, I got the impression that Paper Towns was one of the, like, the less popular ones, but I, I might be completely wrong about that. That is just, like, yeah. it's the one I never really saw anyone talk about, especially once, like, Fault in Our Stars came out. Yeah, it's one of his most slept on works. It's a, it's a minor work in his oeuvre. Well, yeah. I I fucking I slept on this movie because it is really fucking boring. Yeah, it's incredibly boring. <laughs> uh, but so I did actually not know that this predates um, that this predates the Fault in Our Stars. But I think the Fault in Our Stars is the right place to start since like the John Green phenomenon like really really kicks off with the Fault in Our Stars. Like he had some mm-hmm. works beforehand, but the Fault in Our Stars was really his you know, his explosion. And the entire time I was watching this, I I kept wondering to myself, like, I wonder why this was the follow-up. Like, this seems like such a minor key and inconsequential movie. Like, why do they pivot from two star-crossed, you know, Make-A-Wish kids to this fucking just, like, tedious, uh, you know, high school, you know, fucking melodrama? And it turns out that, yeah, this came out way before it. So that makes a ton of sense. Um, Hannah, you uh, you talked a little bit about your John Green history. Yeah. Um, what was a, did you have any memories of Paper Towns? Literally none, no. I had never heard of it. Um, I, I, I think that the, like, running thread with me for the season is going to be just, like, my early dating life. Because I definitely dated the girl in this movie. <laughs> Um, and, and and so like yeah. a lot of her most like insanely annoying habits are just things where I'm like oh yeah I've I've seen that in person I know exactly what it comes across as yeah um but no I mean like I I I think you're absolutely right to note that it's like it's weird that this was the big follow up um in, in large part because like. This is such, like, a structurally shit-thrown-at-the-wall type of book. And, like, it's partly a mystery. It's partly a road trip movie. There's just all these different, like, parts of it that try to, like, cohere into something. But, like, that really just come up with the impression that, like, John Green couldn't write an entire book around that. 
Like, he didn't have yes. enough material to make an entire, like, road novel. And he didn't have enough material to make it, like, she's got this cool ARG that she's leaving for us. Um, but I do think that, like, there's there's stuff that is tells that this movie came out earlier. Or that the, 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 the book that it was based on came out earlier. One of those being, I just said, ARG. This would have been written in 2008, which was, like, at the height of when every company was, like, the coolest thing that we could do is have an ARG where, like, you get a new Pepsi flavor a day early if you solve five riddles. Yeah. Um, and, and so, like, you know, at that point, the, the coolest thing that you could imagine was, like, a girl that gives you an ARG. So this movie, um, look, it, even though it is not technically, I mean, I actually think it is his second book, so you could call it a sophomore slump. But, like, mm-hmm. even though the chronology is skewed, like... This really feels like a sophomore slump, like, book or movie. Like, this really, really feels like you have a book and it blows up. Everyone, you know, everyone wants it. There's John Green mania. And then you have to rush out, like, a follow-up to capitalize on your fame. But where, you know, your first book, you know, again, not the first, but the first movie, the the, uh, Cancer Kid stuff, that is a road-tested concept, you know? He yeah. has had time to, you know, hone his craft and get that down to the exact story he wants. And I totally, totally get why The Fault in Our Stars was such a huge phenomenon. Like, genuinely, without any cynicism whatsoever, I get it why that was so huge with high schoolers. Like, I it's just completely get it. But this, on the other hand, I also get why this underperformed compared to The Fault in Our Stars, since this is like a nothing, nothing movie. Yeah, it is interesting because, you know, like, An Abundance of Catherines is, like, if, if we're talking about what, what do you adapt next after The Fault of Our Stars, obviously that book blows up big, you make a movie out of it right away. But if you're talking about, yeah. like, what do you do next, like, Abundance of Catherines is not about teenagers, so um, you can't do that if you want to capture the audience. You probably could if you wanted to because it's John Green's name, but, like, you want the teen thing. Um Will Grayson, Will Grayson is one of his other books, but that's about like a gay teen, so they were probably like, yeah, let's let's, let's find another. <laughs> one. Let's, let's come back to that. Let's we'll see if we can find yeah. another one. Um, yeah. And then what about uh, Looking for Alaska? So they optioned both of them. They optioned Paper Towns and Looking for Alaska um, at the same time, right after Fault in Our Stars, the movie uh, was a big hit, and. Um, Paper Towns just kind of ended up being the next one that got made. Uh, f- uh, Looking for Alaska was kind of development hell for a little while because Sarah Polly was writing the screenplay, and then that, like, they threw that out, apparently. And then Looking for Alaska, years later, became a Hulu miniseries, which we're going to talk about. So who knows uh, what the fuck happened on that track. But like, I cannot wait to find out what that book is about. <laughs> I mean, will they find Alaska? We'll, we'll find that out. Um, yeah. But it is it is interesting that like yeah, Paper Towns is just wait wait okay. okay I might be getting too much ahead of myself, but like Alaska is a girl's name, right? They're not looking for to stay. It would shock me if it was not a girl's name. Jesus Christ. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm ready for that. Well, nothing would surprise me more <laughs> than if Alaska okay. was not a girl. Um, I I okay. I don't want to spoil what happens in Looking for Alaska if neither of you know it, since I do know what happens and it's quite something. I will say, I thought um, I thought that this movie had the looking for Alaska thing in it, and so when the movie begins with a needle drop of a cover of um, "Swing and Party" by The Replacements, like 
my jaw hit the floor. Since if you know what swinging party is about, uh, it's, it's not about a party. <laughs> the swinging is a, a different type of thing you do from a rope. Mm. And ah. I, I was, uh, Look out, Alaska. I was, yeah, I was, I was like, when I like heard that, uh, song playing, I was like, oh no, oh no, this is the most tasteless needle drop I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> yeah. This was, this literally almost as bad as if they put like suicide solution by Ozzy Osbourne in or something. And <laughs> no, this is not that this is a much more whimsical movie. This like. This movie really does feel like a Disney Channel original more than like a John Green novel. Yeah. Like our our project in doing these seasons of Get Cynical is to like get like we kind of apply the auteur analysis to either like a man like Doug Walker or Max Landis or to a subculture like, you know, YouTube. And uh John Green were two were two books in and he is proving somewhat difficult to pin down for me because we have The Fault in Our Stars, which has a very distinct vision. And then there's this, which feels like if you told me John Green wrote this as like a for hire gig, I would completely believe you. Yeah, I don't know. See, to me, like Fault in Our Stars, you're right. You're totally right. Is like a very distinct vision of like a high school story or like a teen drama, basically, that is very much like openly resistant to tropes and cliche um and and like it tells you that it is in a way that maybe you find kind of obnoxious um but paper towns is interesting because it is so like it is drowning in in teen movie cliche it is like the most you know You've seen all of these beats a million times in every Mm -hmm. in in fucking Disney Channel movies. Um, There's literally a prom. There's there's literally a prom. They have they have to get back in time for prom. (laughs) They have to get back from their road trip where they all find themselves in time for prom. It's oh my god, dude! It's fucking ridiculous. Just how like I don't know, like how beat for beat, how I I hate to use this term, but how unoriginal this movie is. Like how. Every single idea in this movie, I mean, there is some like kind of John Greeny, like weird stuff in the margins that we'll talk about. And I regret to inform you that the stuff I like the most about the movie is the stuff where you can kind of see him like peeking through the curtain. But most of this is just an abysmally uh, boring movie that like should be called something like the last ride or like tonight's the night or something <laughs> like it, it should, it should not be called paper towns. Yeah. I, so here's the thing. I, I think that there's a big difference that comes from like the source of like the, it's weird to say high concept, right? But like the kernel that like makes the book um, kind of like have a, like the hook, I guess. Right. In The Fault in Our Stars, um, we didn't, like, go into this in the episode, but, like, it came out of a lot of, like, John Green's own personal experiences being, like, a youth chaplain for, like, a cancer ward. Um, And, like, being, you know, the, the, like, adult who's trying to be supportive in these, like, kids' last awful moments and all that. And um, that, you can tell that there's, like, some of that shines through really in the book Um, because you get a lot of that truth that we were talking about. There is this real truth to this idea that like uh, 
um, how ugly and undignified it is to die of cancer, how there's no valor in it. And, and the, the rawness of that is like the thing that we were like consistently praising in our last episode. With this, it's like he read like a Wikipedia article about paper towns and he was like, oh, that could be something that I write a book about because that's kind of like a metaphor about like growing up in suburbia. And it's like, yeah, I mean, he did grow up in Orlando where like the the book and a movie are set. But like it's such less of a hook, right? It's like there's nothing interesting about his insight or or like specific to the experience about just being like, yeah, I grew up in like a suburb of Orlando and it's kind of boring, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. it's like the the John the sort of John Greeniness of it to me is like in obviously the this the sort of the the main girl character who well, she's not even really because she's not in the most of the movie, um, but the girl who the movie is like about the search for and the disappearance um, who's very much like quirky and weird and she drags the shy boy main character into her world of adventure you know like many very typical manic pixie dream girl stuff mm-hmm. um what's interesting though is like fault in our stars very much felt like it was being written you know for kids obviously but by an adult right it is like looking at these experiences with writing them from a more adult perspective basically um although still for a teen audience this movie feels like the only way you could find any of this like compelling or interesting is if you are a teenager and you're like, damn, you ever think about how high school's almost over? <laughs> and that's like the most <laughs> important thing that'll ever happen to us. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's a hundred percent. It's much more like willing to just make things into really like super broad archetypes. And I, I think that like especially with yeah. the um the as i understand the film a fault in our stars cuts out like kind of the the corniest character from the book who's like the best friend the old best friend that hazel has who like says like darling at the end of every sentence and whatnot um and it's like oh, yeah yes. she shows up for like a couple scenes we didn't even mention her because she's not really an important part of the book which is like exactly the kind of quirk that you want to try to sand out of your writing as you get more experience and as you feel like you don't have to lean on that shit anymore paper talents on the other hand is like it seems to be a novel slash screenplay that's composed entirely of little gimmicks like that um and it's not necessarily that these characters are like mega larger than life but they all have these little gimmicks in them that just make them really annoying to spend time around like the black friend is named radar and and that kind of gives you a flavor for where he is as far as like the realizing these characters as vivid human people. He's not just yeah. named Radar. His real name is Marcus Lincoln. Marcus Lincoln. Which is awesome. Um, That's a Mar- great thing to name. Marcus Lincoln. Marcus is, Lincoln is like the, the, the most character name for the for yes. the black. <laughs> That's like okay. We've we've got like our fifth Ubisoft AAA open world action game of the year, but like it has a black guy at this time. Yes, um, exactly. Which like the, the the observation that I had when reading this is that like the main character uh, Quentin Jacobson has way more of a black name than he does like an authentic yes. sounding one because like. Obviously, Quentin Tarantino, he's, like, the, the main Quentin that people think of. But, like, he's kind of the one slot that white Quentins get. And if yes. you're not him, 
and you're named Quentin, then you are like scoring eight points off the bench for the Sacramento Kings. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, Hannah, I agree with what you're saying. Um, I think what you're getting at is that all these characters are both at once somehow, they are way too broad and archetype focused, but they are also like have these annoying hyper-specific quirks that only really exist in fiction. Yeah. And so like John Green, he is focusing a lot more in this on the stuff that makes him a bad writer rather than the few redeeming aspects of, uh, of his style. I have to say also... When I was watching this, uh, there's a moment where, you know, they're all searching through this, uh, you know, spooky little place together. Uh, you know, they've all got their flashlights out and they're all looking through this uh, not honestly not very scary building. It's like if you've ever been at a parking lot at night, you have probably had like <laughs> seen a scarier building than this one. But, um, you know, they're all there. They're singing the Pokemon theme to themselves to keep them psyched up, which honestly, like, that's a little bit of a funny bit. Um, but I don't know. It kind of clicked for me. Like when I when I, they were all like walking around together, John Green, what John Green really wants to be here. He wants to be fucking Stephen King. Like yeah. he wants to be the more wholesome Stephen King that appeals to like writes earnestly for 15 year olds rather than writing like freak stories about like 15-year-olds killing other 15-year-olds like Stephen King did. And he just, I don't know, you can't do one without the other. Like Stephen King, he was a fucking maniac. He was like drinking fucking nail polish remover and he was doing enough coke to kill a fucking animal. Like, like him or not, if you don't like his writing, you know, he was a lunatic and he was the only person mm -hmm. insane enough to put a fucking gangbang in the middle of his clown horror book. <laughs> and meanwhile... You know, you've got John Green, who just he doesn't really have the edge or intensity that Stephen King ever did. And he doesn't he's, have like the personal flavor either. He's just doing like the Goonies, but by indoor kids for indoor kids. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Goon Caves. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing that I will say is that the the moments of this movie, and I presume the book too, that work the best are the moments of camaraderie between just that are just like the camaraderie just between the friend group because yeah. um one there's a lot of like genuinely really kind of funny bits in there like um you know uh you know there's the pokemon theme stuff there's this early on this very funny moment where uh this kid is uh <laughs> with the kid who's like the kind of feral horny one is like telling a story it's like yeah i fucked the hottest girl in the world but then accidentally like makes it seem like he fucked his cousin so then he has to backtrack out of the lie it goes on too long but it's still like a pretty funny mm -hmm. concept and there's also the moment that i don't know how the fuck they got away with this where they have you know on the road trip segment when they have to get new shirts because of some hijinks involving a bottle of pee and uh, the black character gets handed a heritage not hate shirt yeah and, oh fuck what good. the hell that, that's a banger that's an actual no, I, honest to god good joke it's it's an honest to god good joke and it's it's remarkable that they like don't beat it into the ground because like the wait you fuck your cousin joke like like, like you mentioned it's it's good riffing it's like the um it's like the pg version of like um like the riffing scenes and like what was it like knocked up or the 40 year old virgin where it's like the, you know how i know you're gay scene which like you know that yeah. that's like a solid like 
bit of like uh, uh, we let these funny comic actors just do improv with each other. And it has that same type of flavor, but they're just like, yeah. oh, this is golden. We can't cut any of it. So we have to like leave it on for five minutes. Uh, yes. But the Heritage Not Hate joke, like it surprised me because it was so like it just they just let it be a joke and they didn't have to like call attention repeatedly to how funny it was and how wacky it was that that well, would happen. It's also a weird joke because it actually has like teeth in a way that all the other jokes in this movie don't like you know yeah. a lot of what this movie's idea of comedy is is like you know they have the scene where the three main characters they go to a party together and um you know uh the naturally the horny one like the little horny guy he gets drunk and then he starts shouting like uh valar morgulis uh, because that's uh that's a classic bit of comedy there's a lot of bit of uh you know a lot of reference as humor stuff but yeah it it, it, it it's it's a very weird joke because like uh you could you don't have to be like political or like you know trying to you know ruffle some feathers when you make comedy but like all of the comedy in this movie is just so sanded down for mass appeal and this one just really like spiky little bit in there that i was like mm -hmm. kind of taken aback by i it I think there's one like comedic sequence that kind of works for me uh, later on in the movie when they're on the road trip um, that it, it is very sanded down, but like it works as like a very cute Disney channel gag where it's like, if yeah. you are watching this with like your little sibling, uh, you know, to just like babysit them basically. And it's just like, okay, yeah, no, I, I can see how that's like a, a fun, cute joke. Um, it's like, they're they're on this road trip to try to find um uh god what's her name margot roth spiegelman uh that's right margot mitzi fableman margot julius yeah. rosenberg margot margot rosenfield um... yeah. <laughs> all right now. yeah that's right <laughs> they're trying to find esther yeah. rosenfield who is yeah uh in a little paper town in new york uh insisting yeah. that she likes more movies than she dislikes and that she is not mean about movies uh, but like yeah so, so they're on this road trip trying to find her and they're like oh we have to get back to the prom uh, we have to like get back to school in time for the prom we have to like make sure that we're hauling ass here um and so they like uh have like a time for a rest stop but they're like well it has to be only like two minutes so it's just like very cute little sequence where they're all like running through the aisles with their hair on fire trying to like gather up all the snacks and you know, it's it's like the sort of thing where it's like it's like um, you know, it's 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 like a very G-rated A-team type of thing of just like putting this very silly low-stakes plan together, and I like that bit. Yeah, um, th and the that Ansel scene Elgort, also features. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's the, got um, a cameo by uh, Ansel Elgort, uh, Mr. Mm -hmm. Fault in the Stars himself, and um, uh, you know, again, I hate saying positive things about Ansel Elgort because you know what happened, but. He he is a very we, good we actor. We have established that you think he's the swaggiest man alive. <laughs> yeah, I, we have established that. We have yeah, blah blah blah. And the, he he's very very funny when he gets to lean into like the dorkier side of his persona and just like the scene where he's trying to show off to the hot girlfriend and he just like shows a tattoo of a dragon on his bicep and just asks, "You like dragons?" You know, I yeah. I, I I cracked up. I, I'll fully admit. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um. It it speaks to the talent. I think most of these actors, uh, most of these actors are very like, they seem pretty good 
as just comics and actors like they have like this natural kind of energy that even even when the writing is letting them down they're doing like a decent up decent enough job in some of the more loose-limbed and clearly like maybe more improvised scenes that they're able to kind of pull it together uh they're mm-hmm. also it also helps that almost all of them are uh believable as teenagers like they only dawson cast it up to like 21 years old the yeah. one girl the hot girl friend um she looks like she is 38 years old uh she looks like rachel mcadams it i yeah. just, it, she i Which remember is interesting. she's like a year younger uh, i looked this up the actress is like a year younger than carde levine uh, who yeah, is no, no problem looking like an evil child throughout the movie. Yeah. No, I mean that's the problem with like Dawson casting stuff is that like you need to you need to cast someone who it's more important to cast someone who looks the part and acts the part rather than actually is the age because there are mm-hmm. as anyone who's gone to high school can attest there's a lot of fucking high schoolers that look like they're 24 years old. Yeah. Um, and you see that <laughs> in the movie. See like one of those fucking scary 15-year-olds they're like six foot four and jacked and it's like i don't want to see that in my fucking movie get him off the screen i don't like him it's giving me bad memories yeah i I, um went to high school uh or i I didn't go to high school with this guy but i would like see him a lot at swim meets and he looked like a henchman in a john wick movie but like the moment he started talking it was like oh no you're actually just 16 i get it So as long as there's that like that one point of reference where you're like, okay, I can buy this. Like it doesn't yeah. take that much. Let me just I don't know. We've been alluding to the plot like here and there, but I'll just give you all like a brief little uh recap, you know, since since we've we've been kind of talking around it. Um the movie uh Paper Towns revolves around uh this kid, this kid who knew this girl growing up. And uh, he fell in love with her, but she never really gave him the time of day and they drifted apart. One day she comes back to him and they go on a crime spree, a little like petty misdemeanor spree together. And then she disappears again. But she's like getting revenge on all these people in her life that she feels have wronged her. It's just like very just like low stakes high school shit where she's like, my friends are all fake and time to cut the snakes, see who's in the grass. Yeah, um, the two share a moment where they dance in a uh, dance fight club style in like a office building together. Uh, I was thinking for a second that it's like, oh, is her last prank like way higher stakes than the rest of these? But yeah, no, no they got some where is my mind playing. No, they um, <laughs> they uh, they dance together with one of the most interminable fucking lines in the movie. Um, they have what's her name? Uh, like uh, say, yeah, they. They've got like, you know, some boring corporate music playing or whatever. And then she just says the soothing sounds of corporate America. And <laughs> uh, anyways, they, they she disappears again, but leaves some very cryptic clues because girls are always doing that shit. Girls yeah. love to leave puzzles and what have you. Spencer, and, have you ever had a girl leave puzzles for you? Yeah, all the time. Constantly. <laughs> It happens every single is, day of my life. Yeah, Emerson I'm College. I'm trying to work through one right now. Yeah, we've we've talked about how like Emerson College, uh, the way you describe it, seems just like the Fortnite island where you like drop down and you immediately have like endless beefs with like fifty different people. Um, and yeah. I'm just wondering, like, how many of those take place in the form of like cryptic puzzles that you have to solve for no, each other? No, okay. Uh, the Emerson College. This is a very uh 
kind of a i would say this is more morbid than funny but the uh way that sums up emerson college was uh uh, the school was some people at the school were tired of the school's handling of um, were tired of the school's handling of like sexual assault and Title IX stuff. And for the record, Emerson is fucking terrible at handling Title IX shit. And um, so some girl got fed up and just posted a list of names of students that uh, you know did sex crimes or whatever, and posted up on the wall. And then there was uh, you know a big fallout from that or whatever. And there was a lot of discussion about it and all this stuff. And then um, <laughs> the, how well that went was uh, that after that, <laughs> God damn it, this is so fucking funny in just the most bleak way possible. Someone, fe- someone posted, uh, someone was like, all right, so you wanted to talk about real trash guys from Emerson? Get a load of this. And they posted the video of Caleb Pitts, who, who went to Emerson, <laughs> video of Caleb Pitts, sitting in his car eating hamburgers and saying like how much you like this obama you hawaiian fuck <laughs> and that that is what emerson was like in a nutshell you could take like any legitimate serious grievance and it will never be too severe enough to turn into like the weirdest culture war crusade you've ever seen Can you believe i almost went to emerson like we could have yes i believe yes. It. <laughs> yeah and by by the by almost person. went if I almost uh, went to Emerson, I mean, I did not get into Emerson. <laughs> How the fuck did you not get into Emerson, Esther? My grades were dog shit in high school. I got a good ACT oh. scores, but I was a fucking, I was, I was, however lazy you think you were, I promise I was lazier. Yeah. So, oh, I mean, I lucked out because I was like a 3.2 GPA student in like fucking uh, 10th grade. And then I got on Adderall and I jumped up to like a 3.8 student. But I also like mastered the art of, not doing any real work like i would show up to school an hour early do like 60 percent of all the homework that i had to do that day and then all the teachers would just glance at it and be like yeah that's good that's good just did no fucking shit every single day i got home and played dark souls on my computer for like four hours and i got into emerson but Ah. it would have been the uh the emerson uh esther arc would have been horrifying everyone who went there as a traumatic brain injury because of it, so including me. So, uh, meanwhile, I'm 32 years old, so I'm not going to be talking about what kind of grades I got in high school. <laughs> 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 I had to draw a line somewhere. I, I'm not. I'm not. I don't give a shit about what grades I got in high school, but I am to this day very proud of how little work I did in high school. I am very yeah, proud about that. how successfully I bullshitted through this like very rigorous college prep school. Anyways, uh, it sounds like a lesson that Quentin Jacobson could learn. It's like yeah, that's that's yes internal. I fucking I, beasted that segue. <laughs> that's like one of like the 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 like arcs of the movie, right? That he has to become like less uptight. But at this part of the movie that we're describing, he is absolutely at the beginning of the arc. So he gets obsessed with Margot when she leaves, and he starts to do what Spencer. He starts looking for these clues, and eventually, he uh, decides that. She is in a paper town in upstate New York, which, you know, God, a a woman with a lot of money who is lost in life going to upstate New York to get a fresh start. Heaven. Crazy. I've never seen this before. We need to it's, write a novel about this. It's so cool. Um, can I tell you, I mentioned that I had a, a, a college ex that was uh, the Margot Ross Spiegelman of her era. Uh, can I yeah. tell you what? 
her version of this is. Uh, yeah. It's like a couple years after graduating, uh, she put together a Kickstarter that ended up getting like no donations except for her rich dad who immediately bailed her out um, <laughs> to buy an old bus, like an old school bus and convert it into like a mobile homeless shelter. And she would just like take a bunch of homeless people from the East Coast and try to drive the bus with them all the way to like South America. <laughs> And I believe they did not make it to the Mississippi River. Um, they, they, that is so awesome. Yeah, her contribution to this whole effort once the bus started rolling was like writing blog posts about the experience that no one but me read. And um, <laughs> they were all about stuff where it's like, yeah, I made food for the group today and they all yelled at me for not uh, putting any seasoning in it. <laughs> How bad do you just... have to be at fucking cooking that homeless people who like whose daily meal is like four cigarettes, like that they yell at you for cooking badly. How badly do you have to fuck that up? No, I I love her. She's great. Um, yeah. I I, no, I still her. had her in my life. Asked her if me she ever shows real. up again. But like, I'm gonna have to have some very serious conversations. <laughs> I, uh, I I need to get Marco Ross Spiegelman away. Yeah, it's gonna no. help me find myself. They uh these characters also have their own uh they have their own little arcs um in the movie. Yeah. Uh the the nerd character learns how to get pussy and he mm-hmm. also learns that this hot girl that he's been sexually harassing the entire movie, she's got some brains too. She's not just your average dumb blonde. She's got a real soul in there too. Um and that she has brains though. Like it's not like did they do the movie scene where she's like, well, actually, E equals MC squared. And he's like, well, what the fuck? It's yeah. just that she is a person, like a yeah. human being, and he's like, damn, that's crazy. Yeah, I didn't and know it's girls like, were real people. <laughs> I mean, this is like the... the. I think like we were talking about this before recording, and like you described this as very like John Hughes. Um, yeah. And like a like cloying and skin-crawling type of way. It's, it's not as that, bad as John Hughes, by the no, way. No, no. But it's it's also like the sort of thing that like I mean this movie is like, if not contemporaneous with and just like a few years before like Booksmart. Um yes. which was another movie that was like predicated on the idea of like, yo, did you think that this character would get into an Ivy League school? Guess what? They did. And it's like she's she's like there's a scene where she's like in her bathroom, just like kind of sitting down in a tub, um, like at this party that like I think is being hosted at like her house or like her boyfriend's house or something like that. Um, she's just like trying to get away from it all. And she like finds Quentin there and she's like, Oh, did you know that I'm actually really smart and not just hot? Like I got into Dartmouth and it's like, well, yeah, like you've been just presented up until this point in a movie as like, you know, the, the mean girl, right? Like the hot mean girl. But like yeah. after that moment, it's like, she just not really presented as anything. Like Esther said, she's not like equals MC squared. And she's not, like, the bitchy mean girl anymore. She's just, like, she kind of stops being a character because, like, that, like, John Green is, like, doing the classic thing of, like, mistaking saying that a character isn't a stereotype for, like, actually giving them a personality of any kind. Yeah, I mean, it's TV tropes, writing style, right? It's, like, I'm subverting the trope. By just kind of commenting on the fact, and they do this, you know, bit more with mostly with Margot. It's the, it's yeah. the most egregious example, I think. But it yeah. really is just like, see, we're pointing out that 
this the trope exists and this character doesn't abide by it and therefore we are saying something about it but it doesn't actually like these the women in this movie are not characters in a meaningful sense yeah and it's because uh, that's the thing as well with the the other girlfriend because like spencer was saying that like all of the these characters that go on this road trip have their little arcs and our our good friend radar um he's been having this whole thing throughout the movie where it's like he is scared of his girlfriend and like whenever she shows up he like runs away from his friends and is like very cagey about a lot of stuff with her and she's like what are you like scared of me and he like admits basically that it's like oh yeah i was and i'm sorry i was like i over you know interpreted some stuff and it's like that only works really if not only do you as like the viewer have like an intense knowledge of these like fictional tropes but you assume that all the characters have this too right because i was like rem- watching this and just being like well, why are these 16 year olds like being so obsessed with the idea of like being pussy whipped and it's like oh well th- he's not actually it's just that like he he thinks of himself as that because he has a diet entirely of tv tropes pages right yeah um and so then it turns out oh well she wasn't the over overly domineering ball busting girlfriend and then what is she right she's like nothing she's like yeah. not a character anymore there is a very cute little exchange with them though uh, that i did laugh at a little bit again it might be a case of more clever than actually funny or maybe even too clever for its own good but there's a scene where you know uh, radar is like kind of meekly confessing to her that he lied to her and that he actually went out to a party and then she's just like taken aback, so taken aback by it and taken aback by how low stakes everything he says is, is she just goes, wait, are you breaking up with me? And then she's like, he's like, oh, no, 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 definitely not. I'm just telling you this. That is like, that is yeah. how close the movie gets to like an actual nice spin on the formula. And also, there's also two things I want to touch on. First off, if I can step back to the uh, hot girl, I need to say. Yeah. It is not a shock that a hot, annoying girl got into a good college. Uh, <laughs> hot, annoying girls did that, do that. They just cheat on tests. That's how they get into good colleges. There was a what girl Spencer is at- about to do is like delay a uh, uh, butt into this recording for like 10 minutes to just like list out a, a, a list of names of hot girls that he knew who got into colleges that were too good. <laughs> I, I will not name names, but I did know a girl who uh, did not know American what- Activities Committee. Yeah, uh, did not know what Auschwitz was in 10th grade, and uh, she got into a really, really good school. Oh, yeah. And there's a very, uh, there's a pretty simple explanation for that, and it involves looking at your phone during fucking tests. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. But no, I don't, anyone who has gone to a private school is not surprised that, like, the hot girl that thinks, like, oh, let's have a Holocaust themed laser tag is, like, a good idea gets into like fucking uva or something like <laughs> anyways uh, that's insane yeah real story i probably told it on one of my podcasts before but it's a real fucking story and uh two i uh, know i said that this is better than john hughes and it is but yeah uh, mm-hmm. there are some bits and pieces of this that are like john hughes level bad and one of them is the black nerd is afraid to take his uh girlfriend back to his house and the reason given for that is uh, <laughs> that his parents own uh, are trying to get the yeah. world's largest collection of uh, Black Santas. Um, and, okay, unbearably tedious, unbearably unfunny, 
Um, yeah. It would be a funny joke if it was a white family trying to get the world's largest <laughs> collection of black Santas. That would be fucking tight. Um, but really, really just toothless fucking joke. And the only part of it that does like makes me make me raise an eyebrow is that they said that they are attempting to get the world record. Who the fuck has that actual record? Like, it, it can't be that hard to break that record. I like. I'm imagining. I'm imagining it's like, uh, you know, how in the world of like people who try to get the world's hottest pepper, there's like vicious rivalries, like people burning down crops and poisoning plants and shit. Like, yeah. I'm just imagining that there's just like Sinaloa cartel wars between <laughs> Black Santa families. So um, this movie takes place in like a, a parallel setting to the John Wick universe, but instead of paying for everything in like big golden coins, they pay for things in black Santos. Yeah. <laughs> so, just, imagine, just like a home invasion of like people just like doing torturing these fucking black Santas. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're they setting have, like, like they're yeah. setting an assassin named like the taxpayer to take all the black Santas away and like their great uncle who's played by Lance Reddick has to like defend the house. <laughs> yeah, no. They're like wrapping a plastic bag and zip tying one of the Santas, <laughs> like Gus Fring style, and just making yeah. making the family watch. It's like you will always be in second place. Your black Santas belong to me now. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, they go on the trip together, and the early stuff on the trip, I will say, does kind of have that more loose limbed, improvised feeling to it that works yeah. a lot better. It's, um, so once they get on the trip, there's like a title card that says like hour one of the trip. And I know because yeah. like we, we we were in the Wikipedia article for the book and it says that like once it gets to that section of the novel, it breaks it up into hour by hour chapters. But it's like, yeah. I, off, I don't even way. know if they like kept it going for more than like the first hour. No, it really, I, it it gave the impression to me that like, maybe the early draft of the movie had like more yeah. of the hours in it. But by the time they finished the, like the final cut, it was like, all right, we have hour one and hour like 10 and that's yeah. all that made it. We don't have enough hijinks to have one hijink per hour. <laughs> yeah. The hijink ratio to hour is just fucked. Let's just scale yeah. back <laughs> hours. Well, we'll be good. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but as they go on, there is a, a lot of speechifying, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of revelations to be had. Um, there is one moment late in the game. Okay, well, for starters, that you should know that the, the you know, the freaky weirdo kid, he ends up going to prom with the hot girl. Because Let's go. Yeah, good for my man. Good for my man. That's a, that's a yeah. dude's rock moment right there. <laughs> this movie and, was uh, the tenant of 2015. Yeah. <laughs> it's a dude's rock <laughs> vibes movie. Fuck God, um, it's making me even sicker. <laughs> <laughs> and um, number two, uh, the uh, the radar bloodborne NPC arc. <laughs> yeah, ah, the pale blood. <laughs> number two, though. Yeah, uh, no, it was just radar gets laid. He, he finally gets some fucking pussy, which yeah. uh, I don't know. I feel like I feel like you can't have two separate characters be the resolution of their arc be that they get pussy. I think one of them needs to like come to peace with their dad oh. dying. Well, but but that's the thing. Like, yeah, he he just forgot to put any other stakes in this movie besides like 
do characters get pussy or do they maybe like learn that like they can wait a little bit before getting pussy yeah that's like the only fucking things that happen in this movie and like i i i want to talk about it like when we get to like kind of the final resolution of this but like spoiler this is not a movie that understands conflict very well yeah um but eventually they go looking for her and they eventually uh they get to the paper town and she's not there and Mm -hmm. uh all of them were like, all right, fuck it, let's bail, let's go home. We've got a prom to get to. And the main guy's like, no, no, I don't. I, I'm going to go keep looking for her. I'm going to stay. And, um, and then the, uh, the, the, the hot girl character, she has this weird moment where she points out, like, you know that this girl, like, she wouldn't have done this for us. She's kind of a bad friend. And, like, yeah. earlier on, earlier on, there's this weird, like, conflict they forget to really pay off where – um, you know, Cara Delevingne's character, um, Margot uh, Ace Rothstein, yeah, Margot Ace Ro- Margot Sam Rothstein, um, <laughs> Margot Sam, ba- Margo Sam Bankman Freed, yeah, Margot Sam Bankman Freed, uh, she she like gets revenge on her best friend, <clears throat> she uh gets revenge on her best friend for um, you know, hiding the fact that her boyfriend was cheating on her for. And her hot girl best friend uh, later just says, yeah, I did not know about that. Why the fuck did you saran wrap my car? <laughs> and then they just never kind of touch on that again. Like, you know, the, yeah. the, the actual payoff is supposed to be like, you know, the hot girlfriend would get a chance to like make peace with Margo and say, no, I really did care about you or something. But then she's just like, yeah. no, Margo, uh, you know who I fucking hate? Margo Larry Gopnik. Let's fucking go home. <laughs> And then they go home. What's his name is decides to stay there. And yeah, Qu- um, Quentin Jacobson. Yeah, Quentin Jacobson. <laughs> and shooting guard for the Memphis Grizzlies. Key and Peel sketch ass character name. And <laughs> Quentin Jacobson, I, you know, I know his defense is a little shaky, but yeah. I think like, yeah. you know, after the straight, he's gonna he's gonna get more minutes. Spencer, would you be okay with it if we just did like half an hour of nonstop basketball reps? Would you feel like cheated uh, by fine. that? That's fine. I'll take some. Uh, I'll take some Nyquil and just. I, uh, I do want to say very quickly that, like, I'm grateful to you, Spencer, for uh, explaining what happened uh, during those like revenge scenes because, like, they, they were the most boring revenge scenes that is possible to commit to film. It's all taking yeah. place at night, so it's like really poorly lit. Um, the characters are all whispering and like. The audio is really poorly mixed, so like we could yeah, not that's like understand. A Robert yeah, <laughs> yeah, we we had to put on the subtitles about 15 20 minutes in because we it, it was startlingly quiet, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. the way they were talking, yeah, the, yeah, the no, most because... indistinct revenge plot in the world, yeah, no, and um, anyways, they fucking uh the guy keeps looking for her and eventually he finds her and it turns out she only left the fucking da vinci code for him to let her know she was okay to let him know she was okay which what the fuck you asshole that's a dick move to do you leave a fucking puzzle for these people and all you're trying to say is i'm good just send him a yeah, fucking was, text, you piece of shit it was way too much of like there were way too many steps is the thing yeah <laughs> one thing is she just left a note in her book or whatever that was like <laughs> Uh, I'm okay. Or it even could have been like a dumb enigmatic, like uh, I have gone to the paper towns never to return. But like, yeah. there were way too many 
uh, steps to follow. Like, of course, wh why, why would you think that he wouldn't go to the place? Like, you left him a fucking breadcrumb trail. You didn't leave him a note. Yeah, you left like a series of like a, a, a trail of candy directly to the town. Like, you're going to take all the candy and eat it. They, yeah. They eventually, and then she says, um, uh, he's like, well, what are you doing here? And she's like, I don't even know myself. Um, yeah. By the way, a, a little, a little, uh, a little sidebar. Uh, we, we talked about this before. Uh, is she getting trafficked? Like, is that why she's here? Yeah, I think I think Detective Olivia Benson needs to needs to yeah. the situation. <laughs> no, because like the, the the last like line of the movie, and it, we're gonna like circle back to how like indistinct of a character she is, and how the movie like rubs your nose at it in so many ways. But like. Quentin saying in his like narration at the end, like, oh, some people say that she's like off Broadway in New York. Some people say that she's a surf instructor in California. Uh, but who knows? And it's like, I'm imagining there's a version where it's like, some say she is under the basement of Comet Ping Pong Pizza. <laughs> she has been trafficked by the evil Democrats. His name is literally fucking Q. They call He's him Q. Q. <laughs> he is Q. Yeah. Q. Put the fucking puzzle pieces together. People. Yeah. And her, yeah. And. They've been giving us they've been giving us information for far longer than we ever could have imagined. Yeah, yeah, no. And the and the girl's name is Margot Roth Spiegelman. Yeah, mm. yeah. Come on, I don't think that's she's Margot Larry Silverstein. She pulled it yeah. on 9-11. Yeah. And who's the most heroic character? Lincoln. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was a little it was a little so, suspicious when they named her Margot Jeffrey Epstein, but you know that was. Uh, <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. So, but I want to I want to talk about that like sense of indistinctness because like you when you talked about um, like the moment where uh, oh god what's her name uh, Bethany or something Lacey uh, the the hot girl friend where she's like um, oh Marco wouldn't have done this for any of us it's like well yeah I mean if you lean into that just like a little more then you have a movie there. Like, you have this this idea of, like, yeah, why are we, like, dedicating so much of our lives here and this, this, like, Herculean effort to, like, a girl who is frankly a piece of shit and either, like, mistreated us or doesn't know we exist, right? But, like, it can't commit to that. It can't commit to fucking anything, you know? And, like, you, you see that again with, like, um, like, we were talking about how she's, like, I, I don't even know who I am. And it's, like, oh, great. Well, who does in that case? I feel like that was your job to figure out, John Green, like who this character is and why she's like interesting to have as a central figure of a novel. Well, it's like a, well, it's like I was saying about like the whole point of the scene is supposed to be like, oh, I'm not the man, your manic pixie dream girl who yeah. like you know is the perfect embodiment of all of your own insecurities. Like I'm my own person. But then all she says is, I'm, but I don't know who I am, and it just feels like the laziest yeah. fucking cop out. Uh, to come to this conclusion of like yeah, yeah. it's it's wanting wanting to give the appearance of like subverting a trope and patting yourself on the back by being like one step smarter than the most cliche version right which is like again you're one step smarter than like the cliche of the ball busting high school girlfriend by saying oh she's not that but you're not two steps smarter by actually giving her a personality right you're one yeah. step smarter than the the barest cliche of the manic pixie dream girl but guess what that's the favorite thing of Manic Pixie Dream Girl stories to do is to, yep. in the last 10 minutes, have the girl look into the camera and say, I'm not a symbol. I'm just a fucked up girl with my own problems. 
It's like 500 Days of Summer did that. You know, Ruby Sparks did that. Uh, Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind did that, right? Like it's, yeah. it's and if baked I can be in. Annoyed for a second, Eternal Sunshine always. of Spotless Mind absolutely did that actually pretty well because they yes. did it pretty early on in the movie. They had to <laughs> directly tell the main character, I am like, I just have problems. That's my whole deal. I'm kind of fucked up. I suck. And then the guy's <laughs> just like, no, but I think you're so beautiful and perfect. You know, yeah. that's, that's actually pretty smart. That's actually pretty fucking smart to have, um, you know, the girl state to the guy's face and that she sucks and not have it be part of this self-actualization quest. But Absolutely. anyways, anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, no. And John Green, I want to say most of this movie is just like on the bad side of meh. Like after the first 15 minutes, which are interminable, most of it's mm -hmm. just on like the, you know, the 4.5 out of 10, like part of the scale. But the last line of this movie pissed me off so much because, you know, you know, eventually, obviously, he comes to his senses and then they go off into the, you know, he comes back for prom. Somehow he gets there on time, even though he took the fucking bus and no fucking flicks bus is going to wait for you that fucking long. And uh, yeah, they go home and eventually, uh, you know, he, he gives like a little recap about what everyone's doing. And what uh, he says about Margot is like, I don't know what she's doing, but it's not my story to tell. And it's like, yes, that part made me so fucking mad. Like, yeah, John Green, like, what do you think you're doing here? Like, are you think you're like, oh, I'm doing something about how it's like appropriative to tell someone else's story or whatever. It's like, this is fiction. That's the whole point of <laughs> fiction, you fucking asshole. I hate you. Yeah, I, I feel that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't have that much more to say about this movie, except that, like, fundamentally, this is a movie that, like, it's its biggest flaw to me. We've talked about a lot of its flaws, but the biggest one for me is how relentlessly committed it is to being frictionless at all times. Um, yeah. Like, we, we praised Fault in Our Stars for being a story that, for all the like little foibles it has, it is not afraid of friction and it is not afraid of confronting things that are like really ugly and really shitty to think about. Um, and it is not afraid to like write in conflicts that do not get resolved in these like really like anodyne pablum ways. But this is a movie where like the, the other four people besides Quentin and Dakar all end up having perfectly like nice relationships with each other. And then Quentin realizes he doesn't need one. And it's like, there's no fallout to any of it, you know? There's, like, a, a brief indication, because, like, you know, when Quentin's saying, fuck you, I'm staying in this paper town to look for her more, like, they yell at each other for, like, 30 seconds, but, like, they welcome him back with open arms, like, when he gets back to the prom, right? Even he gets back to the prom, <laughs> like, what was the fuck with the, like, what was the time pressure on this if he managed to get back there after, yeah. like, delaying to, to, like, look for her more? And, like, yeah. he's, he's fucked up about, like, learning that she didn't love him back, again, for, like, 30 seconds in the movie. And everything just resolves so smoothly without any issue in a way where it's like, well, what was the point of any of it? Um, and I, I don't want to be, like, the type of critic who's just, like, looking at the point of every scene. But, like, everything here is just, like, it feels so first drafty. And you're like, okay, but you, you have to go back to this and write the part where something, like, interesting kind of grabs you um and it doesn't just sort of resolve in the most like 
basic, friendly, uh, no conflict, no drama way possible. No, absolutely. It's a really boring movie. I wish I, I, yeah, that's all there is to say about it. All right. This has been Get Cynical, mini season one, episode two, Paper Towns. Join us. Uh, sorry for the delay, everyone. Uh, join us, I think probably tomorrow or the day after on the those good old fashioned values Patreon, where we will be, me and Esther will be reviewing uh, a Rooster Teeth movie. I shit you not, a fucking Rooster Teeth movie because uh, you fucking assholes paid us to do that. And then after that, we will be returning to John Greenville. So, catch you all mm -hmm. next time. Bye. Bye.